about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Luke chapter 9, starting from verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them 
when he comes in the glory and the glory of in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels truly i tell you some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of god about 8 days after jesus said this he took peter john and james with him and went up onto a mountain to pray as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they, as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Good evening, friends. It is great to be with you. If you're new or visiting, so good you're here. If you're new online, you're at home tonight, great to have you as well. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. And we are walking through some parts of Luke and looking at the Lord Jesus, particularly in the light of an Old Testament character named Elijah, who was a powerful prophet of God in ancient times. And we've read his story, now we're reading parts of the story of Jesus and seeing how we see Jesus differently in light of who Elijah was. Now this passage is really interesting because it is the center of a gospel. And in it we see Jesus and his purpose and his identity laid out finally for us. And yet in this pivotal chapter, it is dripping with references to Elijah. So we're going to have a think about that. Now as we enter into this passage, I think we have some of the words that are the most complicated from the Lord Jesus. I mean, there are many Instagrammable kind of phrases of Jesus, the golden rule, do unto others as you've had them do unto you, the quotes of love your neighbor from the Old Testament, uh, turn the other cheek, these kind of great quotes and ideas that fit well into our culture. Then you have tonight's kind of key highlight moment where Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Jesus says, when he's unfailing his identity and what it means to be a follower, that to be a disciple of Jesus is to live a life that willingly, constantly, and ongoingly embraces suffering, the denial of different parts of life, and constantly follows him rather than our own ideas. This cuts across much of what our culture understands as spiritually good for you. 
This always has driven home to me when I have, I'm in one of those conversations about what it means to be a pastor with someone who knows me a little bit better than just an acquaintance on the street. And I get into some of the details of some of the, the ways it gets really hard and difficult to be a pastor in a church in different times of life. They don't really know what to do with any of that or to do with the fact I'm a pastor generally. But the next question is always the same. It's something like, but you love it, right? You know, it's really good for your soul. It gives you purpose. Such an interesting question. It is the question that is the litmus test of our culture when it comes to spirituality. Is it good for you? Does it make you feel good? Does it give you lift? Does it make you whole? Does it give you peace? This is the antithesis of that. And it is a hard thing to swallow that Jesus asks of us. But what we see as we move through this passage that Luke has put this surrounded by some other things we see Jesus doing that confirms that this is the good life. And this is the way to life and freedom. So we're going to walk through the passage, and Elijah is going to accompany us with Jesus, and we'll see how this all really works. Three things for you. First thing is this. We see the, in one of the stories in this passage, I, I can't go through everything, too long, too big, that Jesus the Messiah provides abundantly like Elijah. In the beginning of this chapter, there's a story where Jesus is in front of a large crowd. He's been teaching them, and they're in a remote place. And it comes to that moment in the day when everyone's concentration is waning and everyone's getting a little bit hungry, and Jesus has some ideas about that. Late in the afternoon, it reads, the 12 came to him and said, you should send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. But Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we've only got five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. It's not including the women and the children as well. There's not a big enough woolies nearby to get that kind of order going quickly. Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And the disciples did so, and everyone sat down, and and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now just pause for a moment over the magnitude of this for a minute. You see the supplies on the screen. Five loaves. They might be a little bit bigger than that. Two fish. That's all you've got. And thousands of people in front of you. And Jesus breaks them, and they're all satisfied. It's a, it's a wonderful picture, but it's pretty ordinary. It's actually a very similar picture to a miracle that Elijah does in the Old Testament. He meets an old widow who has some olive oil and some flour. That's all she has. 
But Elijah says to her, those will never run out. Your supplies are enough. God will make them enough. What we're supposed to see happening here is Jesus is an echo of Elijah. That he is the one who can provide enough for the journey. That he will provide and satisfy no matter what. It's an amazing miracle though, isn't it? Because it's so simple. It's, it's not like, you know, the never-ending pack of Tim Tams that just, you know, didn't get a description of. And then there were five more loaves. And then there were five more loaves. It was more simple than that. And in some ways, unspectacular. Perhaps it's like the way I go to get milk for one more cup of tea in the morning. You know when you don't quite have enough milk left for anything else at all, but there's always enough milk for another cup of tea? Always. Always, 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 miraculously at the bottom of the bottle. And you go back and there's a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. I wonder whether that's how these two miracles for Elijah and Jesus worked. Now the disciples took the bread and the fish and they're like, okay, let's just go to the first 50 people and see how far this goes. And they come back and like, oh, there's a little bit left. We'll just go to the next 50 and oh, maybe we have enough for one more 50. And they just kept going around. There was just a little bit more. And like, oh, hey, we have lots of baskets. That's fun. It's a simple, ordinary miracle. Jesus sustaining with the substance of life. This is what Jesus is like. The Jesus who summons us to a difficult path is the life giver. But there's more here for this, because right on the back of this miracle comes these questions about his identity. Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, of course, because you just like fed lots of people like Elijah did. And still some others of that you're a prophet from long ago that's come back to life. Like Moses, maybe, who fed thousands of people in the desert, say. But what about you, he said? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one of God. You're the king we've been waiting for. You're God's special one. Now, Peter sees something deeper in the miracle that has just happened. It's not just Elijah repeated. It's of an order higher, of a greater abundance, of a greater satisfaction, of a greater number of people. It was said in the Old Testament that when the Messiah came, he would start a party. He would throw open a banquet of aged wine and the finest meat. That he would end all of sorrow and turn it into festivity. What Peter sees in the miracle of the feeding is that the party's starting because the Messiah has come. It's a wonderful picture of Jesus as the bringer of the banquet. As the one who brings life eternal in abundance and beauty who loves physical life. And in his presence, you can't go unsatisfied. And you will always have what you need. And one day you will arrive at the festivities of eternal life. Jesus is a Messiah who 
provides abundantly, above and beyond what Elijah did. But here is where it starts to get tricky. Because unlike Elijah, the Jesus' suffering is essential to his mission. This is what we read next. You see, when, when Jesus was, Peter says that Jesus was the Messiah, the Jews had all kinds of imaginations about what that meant. About him being a king and a warrior king who would subdue nations around them, who would raise their glory up, who would be mighty and powerful and known. And Jesus is emphatic that the type of Messiah and the type of mission he has is actually very different. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, instead, the Son of Man, the Messiah, God's chosen one, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's not one of the things that the Son of Man will do will suffer, or it'll be really good, but there'll be some suffering on the way. To be the Messiah is to come in order to suffer. Elijah the prophet walked in the desert in desolation and was pursued to death. But that was not necessary to his mission. It is to Jesus. He comes to be killed and mocked and scorned and shamed. That is why he comes into the world. And that must then extends over us as disciples. If that is at the center of who he is, it is at the center of who we are. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life For me, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Suffering is necessary for Jesus. And so he says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, then it will be part of your life too. The wonderful addition that Luke adds into this that other gospel writers doesn't is the word daily. Just to let us know that this is not something that happens to some. It's not just about martyrs dying in the name of Jesus, of which this perfectly fulfills their life and their ministry. This is for all of us, a daily way of life. An embrace of costliness and sacrifice and suffering on a daily basis. For the sake of Jesus. A denial of some ways of life because we are following his way of life. But notice, this is not just a way of death. It is a way to life. Jesus talks about something being on the line. You could lose your life, he says. Or you could save it. What good is it for you to gain the world and yet forfeit your very self? This is what is on the line every day in our life. Our very self. Our truest self. 
And Jesus says, the only way to safely walk is behind me, carrying my cross, carrying your cross, and denying yourself. It is the way to life. That's what Jesus said. He will be killed and raised to life. And those who deny themselves, take up the cross and follow, will save their lives. This is the way of freedom and life, Jesus says. What does this look like? What does this mean? Well, I think that every day there are opportunities open to us to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow. They're very ordinary, in fact. You might pass them by without noticing them. Fleming Rutledge has a suggestion of a few. I like what she says, and I could just steal it, or I could just say it hurts. To show any sort of care for others at all, some sort of sacrifice is necessary every day. To be magnanimous instead of vindictive. To stand back and let someone else share the limelight. To absorb the anger of a teenager in order to show firm guidance. To be patient with a parent who has Alzheimer's. To refrain from undermining a colleague. To give away money one would like to spend on luxuries. To give up smoking. To bear with those who can't give up smoking. All such things, large and small, require sacrifice. What would life be without it? Life, it's stitched together with moments where we need to choose what costs we will bear for what reasons. And every day we are making decisions about that in the way we love God and the way we love others. And what Jesus is summoning us to is to lean into those moments of following him and denying our will and bearing suffering and cost in his name. In large ways and in small ways. Every day. This, I think, is Jesus' litmus test of true spirituality. And there are many spiritualities of our age, even within the church, that fail the test. To be a disciple of Jesus is to take up the nice self and follow. It is big though, isn't it? For the disciples hearing it, it is probably too much than they can handle. Incomprehensible to who they think Jesus is and the life they think they're about to lead. That's what makes what happens next so important. Because there is this moment of confirmation that Jesus is not insane. And that what he said is not just a way of death, but a way of freedom and life. Elijah himself shows up and confirms the freedom and the glory of Jesus' path. This is what happens. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, 
which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, this is dripping with lots of things. First of all, Jesus gets really shiny, really shiny, like lightning. He is finally shown in the glory he actually has, in what he has always been as God the Son. In a moment before a few disciples, we see that underneath what is a gritty, difficult, suffering life is the glory of the eternal God. That his path of suffering is shot through with his glory. And then next to him appear Moses, the great giver of the law, and Elijah, the great prophet. And the law and the prophet speak to Jesus about what he is about to do. Jesus' appearance confirms him. Moses and Elijah confirm him. And what do they speak to him about? About his departure, about his death and his resurrection, about the thing that he just said was going to happen. And by way of this, they're confirming that this is legitimate. This is real. This is what God is doing in the world. It is happening in the suffering of Jesus. There's a wonderful word, though, underneath this for the word departure. You could, there's a very stock standard phrase for leaving a building in Greek. But the word he uses here is exodus, which is a word that speaks of another time under Moses when God did something mighty and led his people out from under slavery and into freedom. It's about Jesus liberating people and freeing them. That the way of his suffering is the way of liberation. It is the way of life. It is the way of freedom. So these confused disciples straight away get confirmation that taking up their cross and following will lead to freedom and life. But if that wasn't enough for them, one more thing happens. Just as Moses one day sat on a mountain and heard the voice of God in a cloud, and Elijah was on the same mountain and heard the voice of God in a cloud, so Jesus, as he's on this mountain, a cloud appears, and a voice comes from heaven saying, This is my Son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. The voice of God confirming this is the way to freedom and life. Look and listen to my son, to my Messiah, to Jesus. This is emphatic, this experience. It is supposed to instill us with the most certain confidence That when we take up our cross, when we daily take up those moments, when we sacrifice even big things as we follow Jesus, that it is the path of freedom and life. I love how at the end of the passage, that after the voice has spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And it's like there's been a fireworks display of innumerable spiritual things. And it all just disappears and there's Jesus. Because at the end of the day, 
this crazy way of life, it's very simple. It's about looking and listening to him. Not worrying about yourself and what's happening in you and what's happening in the world. But looking and listening to him and embracing what comes. See, the reason we have confidence in that is because the must that Jesus had, the the need to suffer, that is where everything gets done. Our little costly things we do day to day, they are but shadows and echoes and sayings of what he did when he died on the cross to free us. When you listen and look on him, he will lead you to life because he went into the grave for you. In his cross, he bore all your sin. Everything was done in his mission. And with your eyes on him, listening and looking, come what may, you'll end up free, satisfied in life, and festivity because Jesus has suffered and risen for you. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.